0: Let us pray. Gracious and Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, Lord, for your um, living and active word. You are a living God, um, that you give us a living faith. Come now, Lord, and make us alive, those of us who are dead in our trespasses and sins. Awaken our ears, Lord, as you awoke Lazarus from his grave. Make us alive in you so that we would then see. Uh, what you 've given us to do, we pray this in Jesus name and for His, uh, uh, we pray this in Jesus name. Amen, Amen. Um, it's a privilege to be here series short series on stewardship uh, uh, whatever that means and that 's something in fact Todd Liscomb and I have been talking about for a few months now is what does stewardship mean? can we recast a very churchy word um, and really sort of give it? give it a new angle, a new meaning, um, in a way that might be helpful. It doesn't feel kitschy or um, too too contrived. So I don't know if we've gotten there yet, um, but that's something at least we're talking about. And I think that's helpful, and so it's a privilege to be a part of that. Even these last several days, I've thought about some text and a way to, to move into that. So I thought um, with Dee Franklin, our incoming stewardship chairman, I um, uh, privilege to take the, the lecture, and way I was going to sort of structure our time is is the first part of the class. At least, this is my intent. And never really know until I start talking how it's going to turn out. I wish I, I wish that weren't true, but it is. Uh, to give in some ways just a little reflection on stewardship. I think um, I intend it to be about ten minutes, maybe a little bit longer, and then to engage some texts, some just really great text. Um, Exodus 19, part of 20, and then 32. Exodus 20, um, the Ten Commandments is how we'd be be familiar with those. So Exodus 19, obviously right before that, where Moses goes up and God comes down. It's just fantastically dramatic in every way that it should be. And then Exodus 32 is the uh, the golden calf, you know, leading up to a great punchline. I don't know what happened. We, we, I threw the gold in and out came this calf. And that's literally... In the Bible, I mean, it's just so evocative of our, um, of our, uh, of our being shiny, happy people that just want to chase shiny, happy things. Um, uh, so that's where I intend to go. So, uh, stewardship. What, what, what is the Advents approach to stewardship? If we could even give it that kind of. Of presumption. I thought about stewardship as response ship. You know, if we're going to sort of describe that, um, that's, that's not a bad way to start. Um, stewardship is response ship. You can break down the word responsibility, and a lot of times we could lay on the guilt really thick for about two and a half months and say, This is what you deserve. You know, you, you should give. We all ought to give. It's our duty to give. And we could sort of put the oughts and the duties and the musts and the shoulds. It's our responsibility. You know, there's something to be heard from that. That's, that's not all wrong. Um, it's not all right, either. Um, in fact, there's a lot of it that's not right. Uh, responsibility, the ability to respond, um, maybe. That's where I was going with my prayer, um, to awaken dead people. We really reckon ourselves as dead in our trespasses and sins. And that's the place where I hope to end up in First Peter later, by the end of the hour. Uh, our ability, then, which is something new. It's not something innate in us. It's not how we come out of our mother's womb, as it were, uh, that we can just do this sort of thing. Be a cheerful giver. You know, give of our time, our money, our talents, uh, the things that are our currencies. We don't do that naturally. So stewardship is responsship. That's one way in. Um, to have faith that's active in love. You know, a great phrase. That a faith which is given to us always outside of ourselves and which remain a gift, um, that that gift then does not remain idle. It itself, faith, is a living, daring, busy, mighty thing, as Martin Luther would say. Faith, a living thing, um, contrasted to this dead host that it is now occupying, um, the one who is made alive in Christ Jesus. Uh, That's getting there again, where um, uh, faith, which is itself alive, um, a gift given by the living God, and we're going to meet him in a real, earthy way, I think, in Exodus 19, uh, uh, this living and active faith, which now has a word that speaks to us, uh, so we become stewards or guardians or masters of the house in Les Mis terms and all that. To be a steward is to be the, uh, the guardian or the keeper or the one who is given something in trust of another. Play that. I intend to play that out a little bit later. Uh, that's a way then to describe maybe a little bit of stewardship at the Advent, a response to the living God and the concrete expression of a living and active faith, um, that we have a confidence that we are in fact uh, not ourselves any longer, as First Peter will describe it, that we are now a people of God's own possession, that we are not our own, we are bought with a price. Um, that these things, if they become more than words, God, who sang that? Old 80s song. Every phrase that is worth anything appeared on MTV when I was a teenager. I mean, it's just. Um, uh, now, I've totally <laughs> disrupted my answer. Um, a living God having confidence, a living confidence, that it's actually something outside of ourselves and which is alive, which then finds, excuse me, a very concrete. I mean, an extremely concrete example, or expression, excuse me, in, uh, in giving, not only of our money, certainly that's a big part of it, our possessions, which we know mostly as, as wampum, <laughs> as money, as legal tender for all debts, public and private. Uh, that's certainly a part of it, but much more than that, too. Um, typically, we think of our time, our money, and our talents as our currencies, a currency related to fluid, like a current, so money circulates just like fluid you know, circulates. And so these things which are out of us, outside of us, in which we find ourselves interacting with ourselves, with our living God, with other people, with our church, with our work, with just everything. These currencies, our time, our money, our talents, it's a really good question. Um, what do we do with them? Uh, Robert Keel, um, my advisor and professor at Sewanee. You might have him. Did you have him? Remember that? So Everybody remembers that when you say Robert Keel. First day of political science. Finally, my undergraduate major comes into play. Uh, political science is the description of who gets what, when, where, why, and how. I remembered that. I was on the board. Um, not a bad way to think of that. Um, so stewardship, respons um, response to What? Um, our response to a living God who has woken us from being dead uh, in our trespasses and sins, as dead as a doornail, a door, doornail, Scrooge would say. Uh, our response, so that now um, uh, who gets what, when, where, why, and how, finds a very concrete expression. Who gets part of me and part of what I have been given? Not what I have, for it is not mine. Uh, Part of what I've been given, um, and how do they get it, and why do they get it? All these things. And so then the last part of this little reflection on stewardship. Uh, thought this was interesting as I began to think about the Lord, um, and in some ways, going to that phrase out of First Peter that we are in fact, and then I'll invite some response here, um, a people of His own possession, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people set apart. By him for himself. Um, so our chief end, what's our purpose? Our chief end is to glorify God. Uh, with all that in mind, stewardship, of course, turned on its ear is in fact not about us at all, but about the Lord's stewardship of us, where we're like pawns. Now we really rebel against that. Uh, you know we're slaves to the uh, to the world, the flesh, the devil, or we're slaves to Christ. One or the other. You got to serve somebody. We say that about once a month around here, quoting Bob Dylan, and it's true. Um, stewardship is probably best seen not in terms of what we do with our time, our money, our talents, but what God does with us. Um, and then playing some words, and this is this is not. This is, this is the leap here. But I started to think about time, money, and talents a little bit. And how it describes, in fact, what the Lord has done with the full and perfect, sort of the, the, uh, the full stoppidness of that word. Uh, how he has decided um, who gets what, when, where, why, and how. And some verses just started to come around as I think about God being the steward of us, that we are his possession, this royal this chosen race a royal priesthood a holy nation a people of his own possession for instance with money and of course the Lord doesn't have any money but though he was rich for our sakes he became poor um, so that you by his poverty might become rich and so he plays he, he enters into that current um, he swims in it and he uh, in a very visceral way he um, Empties himself, um, and though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as something to be grasped. Uh, but emptied himself, and took the form of a servant, and humbled himself, and became obedient to death, yea, even death on a cross. Um, or with this time, you know, the, the Bible has a lot to say about time. Wait, and uh, 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 wait is always about time, and that's what the Lord tells His people to do. All more than anything else. And then he enters in through the Apostle Paul in Galatians and it says, But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And it's very important that it really is as sons, all of us, men and women alike, for right, wrong, good, bad, or indifferent. The son, the firstborn son, got everything. And we all would receive adoption not just as a child, the indefinite oracle, but as the child, the son, the one who gets everything um, for our sake, he became poor so that we might have an abundance of riches. And then talent, reflective of God's activity from who he is, as God is, God does who he is. Um, Great little phrase to rummage through. Uh, for what God has done, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do, but by sending His own Son the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. <laughs> this was His talent, so to speak, as He came and from His um, very nature, being very God of very God, begotten, made, not made, came and did what only He could do and then said, It is finished. Uh, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. So to turn all that on its end a little bit, let me hit pause before we get into the text. There's a lot of text in there. Um, stewardship, starting with responsibility not bad. Um, but getting to the place, eventually thinking about uh, uh, the living God. And now, um, though we are dead in our trespasses and sins, having a living Faith, which gives us a living and daring confidence in the grace of God, with a concrete expression of our time, our money, and our talents, the things which are, in fact, our currencies. Um, We see ourselves as the Lord entered into, that's a good place, Philippians 2, entered into these currents um, and turned them on his ear, of course. Turn them on their ears um, with uh, the expressions of what he has done to describe who gets what, when, where, why, and how. So I might. Like, any responses or thoughts? D, you want to come in on this before we then we just shift gears and to me, just get into some what I think are just really great, great texts. But any thoughts?
1: Yeah, and not to take us off of the path, and I think this is with you. Come on but, up. Yeah, I'm staying close to you. Um,
0: that's right. You're speaking <laughs> to the mic. Speaking to your lapel.
1: Um, what was exciting to me about how we're approaching stewardship this year when Todd and I first spoke about it was it's not going to be about the money. I mean, certainly it has to be. And you, you said That's right. That. But it's really about something a lot bigger. It's these types of conversations we've had or things we've thought about last week, this week, and again next week when Gil and I spoke earlier this week about this, I had just walked out of a meeting here and I still was on a bit of an Advent high. And I mentioned that to Gil that, you know, when I'm here, I find myself in a community of, of peace and excitement and knowing that I'm belonging to God, but belonging to our community. And I thought it was interesting that Richard Simmons' class upstairs That's is right. on community. Right. And I wish I could be in both places. Um, but I really do. I hit, I hit the street, you know, I hit 20th Street when I walk out of this place and I'm smiling at people and saying hello and just wanting to almost hug everybody on the street. And why is that? I, I don't know. Um, stewardship for me has historically been a very personal thing. And so much of what I'm working with right now in my own mind about stewardship here is it ain't about me. Okay. It ain't about me struggling whether you know a tithe is 10% of after-tax income or what. It's not about me. It's about us. Uh, it's about this community. It's about this this place that God really does seem to be blessing and involved in in a very real way that sends a grumpy old lawyer out onto 20th Street wanting to hug people for some <laughs> unknown reason. Um, I mean, it's a place of, of real... Peace and sanctuary and and love and to, to play off your 80s MTV. The, the, the thing, Why can't we? Be no, no, no. That's, that's, <laughs> that's what was bouncing in my. that's 70s. You know. Um, yeah, I, I can't quote scripture, but I can I can quote lines from songs all day long. And the thing I woke up thinking about this morning is probably not good theology, but it's the, the Pretenders' message of love. The reason we're here, every man, every woman, is to love each other and take care of each other. <laughs> um, I don't know why that was in my head, yeah. but, you know, I'm feeling it. So, um, so, <laughs>
0: I'm feeling it. I'm feeling it. <laughs>
1: so stewardship to me, you know, is uh, this year and hopefully forever is going to be, you know, God has given us each other to be stewards of each other, uh, to take care of each other and love each other. Um, and this is a great community, and it's worth everything we've got. And it's not because of who we are, because, golly, look at us. I mean, who are we? Dad and know? our trespasses. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's, uh, it is. It's it's God's stewardship of us, but it's it's us being stewards uh, of each other. Yeah, so, one of another. Amen.
0: Yeah. Anyway. Amen. Thank you, Dean. Anyone else? I want to know if you've hugged anybody yet. Have you, anybody,
1: Have you hugged anybody yet? Have you hugged
0: anybody yet?
1: You know, I'm still working
0: on it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> We're not that kind of church you Unfortunately, <laughs> I always
1: stop myself thinking of the consequences of that, and most of them are the in you know? God will Yeah, Indeed.
0: Anyone? Mark, yeah. you want to add a coda or anything? So, so, let's do a little Exodus, shall we? Um, I mean, I know you hear that all the time, but... Uh, so, um, uh, exodus. I mean, this is the uh, the leaving, the, the, the departure, the, the exodus, um, the story of God's people being delivered um, from Pharaoh, but then quickly uh, uh, turning back to um, uh, to themselves. Um, it's a very evocative book. Uh, great example of the living God and people who are dead in their trespasses and sins, who who whose very dependence, uh, daily existence is. Is, is tied to God's grace given through manna, provision, protection, um, the living word. It's where God always comes down uh, and, and meets the people of God, typically Moses. So, just to start there, we're not going to read, obviously, um, everything, but to ah, have to bring Bibles, doggone it. Um, well, you just have to believe me when I read it to you. So You do have your iPhone. If you don't have a Bible app on your iPhone, you're not... A good Christian in 2015. <laughs> so, you should do that. You should get that before stewardship starts in earnest. So you can, no, I'm just kidding. Um, so from Exodus 19, verses 1 through 6, just to, uh, to set the stage a little bit. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day, so it's very particular, a particular point in history, on that day came into the wilderness of Sinai. They, came, they set out from, the Ref, um, from Rephidim, And came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain Sinai, uh, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus, so the Lord speaks. Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings, and brought you to Myself. You hear that language of a living God delivering people who otherwise are dead? I bore you on eagles' wings and I brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Which is, of course, the language that Peter picks up so many years later. These are the words that you shall speak to the people Israel. And so then goes back and forth and Moses leaves the Lord and goes back to Israel. And then Israel says, well, go ask the Lord this. And so there's this time back and forth where uh, uh, Moses is the mediator between the people of God and the Lord himself up to the point where the Lord then says, here's how I want you to prepare the people to encounter me um, in my written word. And then I remember, and I've shown this before, I didn't want to do it again, when I was in England, um, at, uh, when I was in England, and there was a chapel devotion on this once, and it was fantastic, and I loved it. Um, uh, Got played tuba mirum um, by Giuseppe Verdi, one of his uh, uh, requiems, uh, which is known to be one of the loudest pieces for composition ever written. You pull out all the stops, literally. Uh, and it just gets louder and louder and louder, and, and like a James Earl Jones guy with an English accent, so it was like, "Wow, this is great." He read these verses as it grew louder and louder and louder, and it just stuck, obviously. i didn't have the Hutsput to try to pull that off this morning. Um, but here's the words that he spoke, because this is now after the Lord says, "I'm coming, Moses, I'm coming down to meet you, and I want you to prepare the people." For I, the living God, am going to encounter them. And it's not to be trifled with. And so on the morning, this is a Exodus 19, verse 16. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast uh, so that all the people in the camp trembled. And then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain This is what you call a theophany, an appearance of God. I mean, he is coming down and he's letting you know. I mean, there is thunder, lightning, earthquakes, earth, wind, and fire. It is all there. And then what does he do? He gives the commandments. Now, it's very important. Um, Well, even backing up, good to remember this. Um, Let's not go too far here, but uh, God is a self-disclosing God. What does that mean? What we know of God, we know of Him only because He has made Himself known. We are not to venture into the territory of speculation about the majesty of God. What is God like? That is a dangerous thing. It's like Mark has said several times. I've heard him say, "Uh, what's the little sort of camp song? Um, I want to see the Lord face to face. And Mark says, I'll leave that one to you. Thank you very much. Because that doesn't go well for people. When you see the Lord face to face... He doesn't explode, but you do. Um, uh, to meet God, to idly speculate, I wonder what that's like. The Bible gives a strong warning there. I went back. This was interesting to me. This, for me, this was a little bit of a geekdom yesterday. All of Paul's letters, except for Colossians. I'd love to ask you why this is true. Uh, Paul says, grace, and, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Why does not he just stop? Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Only in Colossians he says that. Everywhere else he gives the second person of the Trinity as the qualifier, as the mediator, as the only one who can actually come down and give us that access to God. Um, to meet God face to face, to see God, earth, wind, and fire, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of that God. We need God made meat. We need the incarnate God. Um, Not the God of his majesty, but the one who emptied himself, going back to Philippians 2, and took the form of a servant. Somebody that we could then approach. Because grace to you from God our Father, we we need that. Because that's the only thing that is going to keep us from getting what we deserve. Um, But peace to still the troubled conscience to wonder again, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm saved on this day, but the fourth day is coming. <laughs> what about tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that? So I don't have fear crippling me. Um, peace, he says. Grace to you from God our Father and peace in our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, the one who can still the fearful heart. Um, or as Frank Limehouse would say, give courage to a timid heart, encourage. Um, uh, what did he say? Um, never mind. Whatever Frank used to say. Yeah. So, faithful courage for a faithful timid heart to believe. Um, so, all that's happening right here in Exodus nineteen. Um, then, Exodus twenty. He restates the promise of God. Um, remember the the the. Uh, promise given to Abraham 430 years before the law was given. And that's just about to happen. He says it one more time. Uh, And God spoke these words saying, I am the Lord your God. So the promise is given first. The creative word, the promise which creates faith. The promise which cements the covenant relationship of God. Given to the people of Israel. Behold, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. So he brings back that idea of remembrance. And when God uses remember, there's always a quality of activity that's connected to it. And so when God remembers, there's an active creation that's going along. Which is why the psalmist can say, um, the Lord remembers your sin no more. It's not as if God's omniscience is somehow suspended for you know five minutes and he, ah, I'm having a... Senior moment, I can't remember what you did yesterday, Gil. No, he knows, he just doesn't act upon it. There's no remember and act. He remembers, but he doesn't do anything about it. And that's the activity of God, where he says, um, I am the Lord your God who brought you the activity out of Egypt, and I will continue to bring you to myself to become a people of my possession. And then he goes on and he gives the... uh, the Word, um, giving the great sort of coda uh, at the end, uh, or in verse 5. Um, oh, and by the way, I'm a jealous God. Like, I'm not going to share you with anybody else. Um, like, I really mean this. Uh, I don't like it when you sort of have half of me, and you go off and sort of play with other, other gods. Um, I, I, I want all of you. Not 10%, not 15 not 99 I want it all. I want everything. I'm a jealous God. And that sets us up in, in, in Exodus 32. Great place. So if you're in your, your phone, you flip over. You know, what does somebody say? You know, just the warm glow of the, the word of the Lord reflected in people's faces. There, um, um, so Exodus 32. Let's see what I want to skip and what I want to read. Um, 1 through 6. Um, Look how quickly the people deflect. Moses has gone up to meet God. Joshua's with him. Uh, The two of them are gone for a long time, long enough that they start to quiver. They start to forget. They start to be fearful. And so when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, and the people gathered themselves together, and the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, Aaron, make us gods who shall go before us. It's been too long, Aaron. Do something. Make something. We don't believe that the Lord is going to create anything anymore. Um, We've already forgotten. Uh, So you make something for us. As for this Moses, hear that distance. As for this Moses, you know, whoever that was, um, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what has become of him. Who? Moses? Who? Uh, As Stephen would say later, as he recounts this right before he was stoned, the sermon which got him stoned. It said they, and the people thrust Moses from themselves. Um, that very active, no, we can't handle the truth. We don't want Moses to mess with us anymore. And so Aaron said to them, take off your rings. So Aaron goes right into it. Aaron said, take off the rings of gold that are in, your, in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters, and bring them to me. So they passed the hat around. And so all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron and And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So already the promise, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. And they're saying, no, this calf, these gods, they're what brought us out of Egypt. They made them three minutes ago. And now they're saying, there's all sorts of psychology that goes on here, by the way. Um, these are the things which saved us, which give us meaning, which give us grace and peace. These gods, that's what we want. These dead gods to leave people dead in their trespasses and sins. Um, and then they go on and have a good old-fashioned religious hoedown, which says, let's make a big feast day tomorrow, which is for a uh, code for let's eat, drink, and be merry. Um, and they get drunk. And then Moses comes down. Uh, with Joshua, because the Lord sees the Lord from whom all um, hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hid. Of course he sees him. And he says, Moses, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to get him. I'm just tired of it, so I can save you and make you the, uh, the one who, uh, through whom the promise continues. And Moses intercedes for him. No, don't do that. Why would you have saved him for all that time? Uh, through Pharaoh's hand and all that. And the Lord relents of his wrath yet again. And uh, and Moses comes down with the Ten Commandments, but throws the tablets on the ground. They shatter. He grinds it up, makes them drink it, um, and then he enters into this conversation with Aaron. And he says, uh, let's see where I am. In verse 21, And so Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord you, Moses... Um, let not the anger of you, Moses, burn hot. You know the people, they are set on evil so quickly. <laughs> it wasn't me, it was this woman that you gave me. You know, he's just repeating Adam here. These people, you know how they are. You and I, man, we just have a hard time with these folks. They are so persistent in their, uh, in their nagging. They, uh, then they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. And this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said to them, Let him you have gold, take it off. And so they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. I have no idea how this happened. I just I passed the hat around, and I don't well, see what happens, and poof, you know, the gods come out. So here's this story. All this around this stewardship part. Um, uh, the trembling of the mountain, earth, wind, and fire. Behold, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. Um, all that. And then, a very few chapters later, while Moses is up on the mountain with God, receiving the law of God, uh, the people forget. The people forget our faithlessness, our faithlessness, our need for something shiny, um, something uh, distracting, something that we think we can wrap our arms around and say, well, that's what matters. I can give my time, money, and talents to that thing. Although I quickly forgot that only five minutes ago, I'm the one who made that thing. I made it into a big deal, whether it's um, you know my job or my child's success or uh, my money, quote unquote, anything else. I think that that actually has worth and value. When I forget that only three minutes ago it didn't even exist. It was dead and just nothing land. And then I made it, and you made it, and we all got together and said, "Hey, let's just kind of forget together, and we'll act like it's a big deal." And that becomes an idol, the golden calf, and we're all right there. And so then Peter, this is where I want to end it, and we'll leave some time for a comment or two, and see what we want to do. Peter picks up some of that, uh, some of this this, uh, this language, and he shifts it. You know, obviously jumping through all sorts of hoops, remembering some of the places where I said, "And the Lord took." Stewardship back to himself, and so to well, let me be the one that decides who get who gets what, when, where, why, and how. Um, let me be the one who uh, who becomes poor, so that others might become rich, and who takes the form of a servant and dies, and who does the thing which nothing else and no one else could do. And Peter comes in along on that. And out of chapter 2, these very familiar words. And as you, you and I, the you plural, us. And as you come to him, the living stone. So there's this play on on life and death. This is where I wanted to sort of end today. That we who are dead in our trespasses and sins have been brought back to life by the living God to a living faith, which is a living, daring confidence in the grace of God, which brings peace And now through the concrete expression of a a living and busy faith. So in other words, our money, our time, our talents, our possessions, our very selves find themselves being expressed and used and worked and given. Um, Peter picks all this up with the play on living and dead, where there's one stone that's living. And then all of we like living stones. We're just the ones that are sort of the bricks and the walls, as Dee and I were talking but he's different, though the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone of the capstone. There's a line out to all the Alabama fans. Um, and what's, what's the thing about the cornerstone of the capstone? That's the one that bears all the weight. We're not going to get crushed. There's no weight that all the rest of the stones in the wall, you and I are having to bear. He's doing all the work. He's doing all the burden carrying. Um, where now, there's actually the possibility where it's not just a fiction, where it says, and God loves a cheerful giver, to put it into money terms, in terms of stewardship. Because if we really reckon with the fact, that we, the fact that we're dead in our trespasses and sins, but God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive in Christ Jesus, and so now we all, like living stones, come to Him. The one, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, the capstone who's bearing all the weight. Then you can look at it a thousand different ways. What? I get to have things that I don't really deserve, and I get to keep 90% of it, if you want to play 10%, 90%. I get that. That's pretty good. You know, you could find wherever the expression of freedom is in terms of your time, your money, your talents. Right here, um, second, First Peter um, Chapter 2. As you come to Him, the living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up, as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am, laying as, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling. And a rock of offense. And they stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And then he goes up into the soaring heights. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now, but now you are God's people, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Thanks be to God. We actually have a couple of minutes. I never have a couple of minutes at the end, but I do. So, any, any comments or thoughts, comebacks, questions? I do. Yeah, you Catherine? Yeah. Right, right. About right. The chosen. Can you Sure, you know, like what? Um, some some CBT, some cognitive behavioral terms like blame shifting, which of course is a great expression in, in, in the Scripture. It's right there on page 2. This woman that you gave to me, it's your fault, not me. That's shifting the blame. Anything that takes it away from the heat, the scrutiny of the law properly exercised. Oh, this is the way things are actually. Ooh, you know, I can't handle that. none of us handle that well. I mean so quickly you push across the blame and then uh, and then the group think um, uh, just like the, the we're going to go to Germany um, in, in July. Mark and I are going to lead a trip and hope a lot of y'all enjoy we're gonna do a class here in a couple of weeks and we'll visit a concentration camp and all these, these, these camps of course were you know five miles away from a city and they smelled the smoke. And what if they convince themselves? That's oh, bread. That's bread. I mean, I cry when I say that, but it's true. And I would have been right there. I mean, I don't have a stone in my hand. That's just bread. They're just making something. They just It's just the Jews and, and everybody else. They're just in there. They're just concentration camp. We're just concentrating labor force. That's all. And they're just making bread. Because they're eating it. That's why we never see it. They're just making their own meals. That must be what's going on. You can't handle that kind of truth. To confront that, of course, then they came in and there's these awful stories of you know the allies just coming in. It's an unbelievable sense of what's actually going on and taking the people that live in the cities and said, you got to come look at this. Like, just basically throwing their face right into it. So it's that sort of psychology. I want a stone in my hand because that's just our soul. I mean, that's the psyche soul. That's who we are. But before the living God, dead in our trespasses, we become... You know, there's a whole other class through imputation uh, uh, who he is. And that's a big deal. So the blame shifting, the groupthink, um, uh, denial, which is minimization. Denial is not typically, uh, that's not black, that's <laughs> uh, purple. You know, nobody denies like that. I mean, it is a truly unique form of psychosis to say that. But all of us are in denial. Minimization, cognitive behavioral word, you know, rationalization, generalization. Let me tell myself a story that makes it palatable, where I can sort of live with you know, my children's behavior or the fact that I'm living you know, five miles from a concentration camp. I and mean, it goes in both ways. That, that's the psychology that's going on. Um, we don't see things as they actually are. We see things as we want to see them to make our lives bearable. Otherwise, we our heads explode. We behold a living God. There is no denying, minimizing, generalizing, creating a, a palatable narrative when you meet God face to face. Oh, that must be it. Just pop. It just goes. Anything else?
1: Well, I mean, go like a step back from that. What's the psychology behind? I mean, of all times to I need turn Rachel from here. God. What's that? Of all times to turn from God. I mean, they're here. They're finally here. This is the end of all of it. And now they choose so very quickly, but fear or what? You know, yeah, I guess so.
0: Was. I mean, um, not really sure how long it was, uh, but it was a fearful thing. I mean, how are we going to make a story that makes some sense out of all of that earth, wind, and fire? Uh, I mean, you know, hold yourself in that kind of truth too long, and it's it it's unbearable. I mean, I could I, somehow that, that that resonates with me to be held that close to something. You know, if, you, if you're in that sense... Yeah. When, when, when all of us... And we'll end on this. You know, when, when reality really enters into our lives, um, somebody that we love dies. And, you know, or, you know, we come to the end of our rope and we realize powerless and unmanageability in step one language. I mean, it hurts. It hurts to sit with somebody in that, but to be in that position, I mean, it is pain. And you will do anything if you can... To try to get out of that pain, to hold, to be held in that pain, which is actually healing and good, it's actually really, really hard. It's scary. It's hard. It's difficult. I mean, there is a visceral pain that people will describe when you're in that. And at the same time, you'll say, it hurts, but it's good. I have a sense that this pain is actually, to call a thing what it actually is, is probably the the balm of Gilead, and I need that. and that's what they didn't have, was that word to be held in the way things actually are. Um, and that's then the living word of Christ who comes to say, this is the way things are and I'll hold that word to you at just the right amount so that you can believe. That's probably true. I just kind of talked myself into that, but I think I'd stand behind that statement. It
1: reminds me of your class in uh, last year of your own personal Jesus. They, the earth, wind, and fire, and they can't do this, and they want a
0: little golden calf that's much more comfortable. Right. Yeah, that's so true. Oh, that. look at the baby. <laughs> well, thank you all. Let me pray. Lord, take these uh, weak words and uh, speak, Lord, if you would, uh, in a way that would be true. Um, come to us as a living God, granting life. to uh, to dead people, Um, and in that new life, a living faith and a confidence that we are not alone. We have grace and peace in Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. For it is in His name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.